Good morning again, and welcome. It's good to see some new faces out there. I can say it's super intimidating to have the DeGere family here and one of the Bible exposition professors at uh, Emmaus here, but there you go. Welcome, guys. Glad to have you. Others, what a joy it is for you to be with us this morning. This morning I'm privileged to introduce a new series that we're going to be going through that will take us uh, almost all the way through the end of May. Uh, So we'll be in a series on the epistle of 1 Peter. The epistle of 1 Peter. Hopefully you were given an outline this morning by Lexi and the other greeters. Uh, So... Uh, please have that with you. That's uh, the outline that I'm going to be working through this morning um, as we go through First Peter. Um, if you uh, are using the Pew Bible, that's number 953. Page 953 is uh, where you'll find this amazing uh, first epistle of Peter tucked in the back of the New Testament. Um, I can tell you as we begin, I have a lot of favorite books in the Bible. You probably know that as over the years you've heard me talk about, oh, I love this passage. This is my favorite passage. But over the years in my ministries um, and my growth as a believer in Jesus Christ, strengthening my faith, I can tell you First uh, Peter, the, the, the epistles of Peter have to be some of the most incredible uh, text this morning. We, we sang about the living hope just a minute ago. We serve a living and resurrected God, right? But that's hard sometimes. Yeah? Agreed? It's hard. We're living in challenging times. But First Peter is one of those books that is so helpful. And so as the elders uh, talked about how we can continue to, to equip you for, for ministry, for life, uh, we really believe that this this series in First Peter will be uh, incredible for you. So, if you are there, turn your Bibles to First Peter, and we uh, we're going to do a couple of things this morning. <clears throat> so, what I want to do is uh, provide an introductory some introductory points as we set the stage for the Epistle of Peter. So, we want to do that. And then I want to walk through how the text reveals itself. I want to look at first the person. And then I want to look at the people that Peter's writing to. And then we'll talk, we'll take a look at the pronouncement at the end. So let's, uh, let's read the section this morning as we begin. First Peter, first Peter chapter one, verse one. Peter. An apostle of Jesus Christ. To those who reside as aliens scattered throughout Pontius, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Bithynia, who are chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, by the sanctifying work of the Spirit, that you may obey Christ and be sprinkled with his blood. Oh, yes, there you go. Thank you. Uh, washing, okay. uh, washed by the blood. There we go. Awesome. I love it. May grace and peace be yours in the fullest measure. Let's pray as we begin. Father, we bring a lot with us these mornings. Life. And so we would ask, Lord, that as we, as you know each and every one of us, you know each and every heart, you know each and every thought, you know each and every situation, you know each and every challenge of the people that are here today. And I pray that you will speak to them, meet them where they are through your word. It is living and active and it is so amazing, Lord. Your word penetrates it prepares us it challenges us it it exhorts us and so lord we we come before you humbly asking you to teach us uh, through your servant peter this morning 
May I decrease and may your word increase as we walk through the text this morning. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Uh, we find the key passage as you study this, this book. And, and uh, as I start, I, I hope that you have um, and that you will continue to read and reread these, this, this uh, great book. Uh, study it. Um, read it, um, meditate on it. it, it will continue to reveal itself for you. But as we introduce the first epistle, we find the key verse, we find the key verse for this book in chapter 5, verse 12. So turn with me to chapter 5, verse 12. And this is the key verse as we begin. And again, this is in the, the introductory comments of how we set up and understand the epistle of Peter. 1 Peter 5, 1 Peter 5, verse 12. Through Silvanius, or Silas, our faithful brother, for so I regard him, I have written you briefly, exhorting, exhorting, yes, this book will challenge you. Yes, this text will, will drive you to consider Ways to apply the theology that we learn in your everyday life. Peter is exhorting us. And he's testifying. He's making known that this is the true grace. This. What is this? This is all that he's going to be teaching us. All that he's going to be teaching us. That this is the true grace of God. Stand firm in it. Stand firm in it. Peter wrote this text for two things, in two, for two reasons. Number one, he wrote it to strengthen the church and to feed the flock. To strengthen the church and to feed the flock. In other words, therefore, Peter's purpose for writing this letter is one of encouragement to believers. Peter's purpose is to encourage you. And this is how you should approach this text that everything he's going to tell us and everything he's going to teach us is an opportunity to be encouraged to grow. He's not living with us anymore, but I used to have an uncle, a great uncle. His name was Uncle Louie. Uncle Louie was a cool dude. He was, uh, he was a, one of the main administrators of the educational system in Tulsa, Oklahoma. And so every time we would go, uh, it wasn't very often because most of my life we lived away from Tulsa, but every time we would go to see my grandma who lived in Tulsa as well, and my Uncle Louie lived there with them, uh, I loved going by his house. You know why I love going by Uncle Louie's house? Because every time, no matter where I was, no matter what I was doing, Uncle Louie would look me in the face and say, Chad... I believe in you. You can do this. He may or may not have known what I was going through. Uh, many times we would talk to him and I was in high school and man, I was kind of lost in high school. And he would just, he would sit down with me and he would say, well, what are you doing? What are your plans? And he would always say, I encourage you. And yet he would challenge me. You know, Chad, I think you can do better than that. I think you can do better than that. I always remember Uncle Louis's words. And I really think that this is the kind of idea that we have as we introduce this, that, that Peter is kind of like my Uncle Louie. He's like your, your uncle that, that you love and you respect, and he's saying, you know what, I really want to encourage you, but you can do better. You can do better. And as we look at this text, always keep that in mind, that Peter wrote this to encourage you, to challenge you. You can do better. You need to stand in your faith. And brothers and sisters, family of God, may it just be said really clear many times in the series, things are going to get worse. Things are going to get worse. We will experience suffering and trials. Okay? And part of, one of the, part of, one of the broad purposes of us talking about this text is to prepare you for the challenges and suffering that you will incur by aligning yourself with our Lord Jesus Christ. Right? Peter wrote to encourage and strengthen the sheep. And by doing this, he was fulfilling his calling from the Lord. Peter claims authorship uh, of this text. He was carried along by the Spirit. So it's Simon Peter. So this is a unique, unique name that uh, 
Jesus gave uh, Peter, he changes uh, Simon, he changed it to Peter. So we know that this is truly the one person that's writing this book. He's carried along by uh, the Holy Spirit in writing this. Um, and Silas or Silvanius is most, most likely the person who actually wrote the words for those who are reading it. The letter also was likely written from Rome around 64 AD. Now, if you study and, and uh, uh, read more on this, you know, you're going to have a range of dates and times on this. But I'm comfortable with saying this is uh, written around AD 64. Uh, putting this in context, this would be about 30 years after the Lord Jesus Christ was with him. Okay? So this is the, at the end of his life. Um, although Peter uses the term later on, you'll see that he's writing it from Babylon to refer to its location. There really isn't any, any indication that we know where this might have been. So I agree with many commentators, whether it's A.T. Robertson or Wearsby, that, that it's correct to say that his location is in Rome. Okay, so he's writing in Rome. Likely he's, he's not putting his, that, that term on it because he wants to um, throw off Nero at the time. He doesn't want Nero, who's uh, oppressing the Christians, he doesn't want him to really know where he's writing this from. <clears throat> Likely the same type of trials that Peter refers to uh, throughout this text is what is happening at Rome. Okay, you know what's happening. Uh, the, the city of Rome was burned. Nero blames who? He blames the Christians. So there's, there's, there's really some suffering and oppression going on right now. A.T. Robertson says that the, these are, the, the uh, trials are, are like echoes of persecution from Rome. Echoes of persecution. Uh, this would be a circular re- letter. A circular re- letter. And we'll, we'll learn more about this. This isn't just for one particular group. This is going around to a number of letters. It was to be uh, shared with multiple churches. As we're uh, setting this up in the introduction, there are a number of themes that you're going to need to uh, make sure that you uh, are aware of and understand. There are three primary ones that you'll see a lot. Number one is the theme of suffering. The theme of suffering The next is the theme of grace. And the third theme is glory. So these are, these are some major themes that you'll be uh, introduced to, to, you'll be challenged with as Peter uh, talks with us. Suffering, grace, and glory. Indeed, if you will, uh, grace, as you, as you read it, grace is used in every chapter of 1 Peter. Okay? And each of these terms enables our eternal hope in Christ. I agree with Bible expositor and theologian S. Lewis Johnson when he says suffering is for our training and education, not necessarily because you sin or your sin, but, be, but to help us understand what God can do for us and through us. Did you hear that? Suffering is for our training and education, not necessarily because of your sin, but to help us understand what can God can do for us and through us. He continues on and says, discipline is necessary in order to perfect us. So if you have this idea that the Christian life and that growing in Christ doesn't include suffering, dear ones, I'm telling you, you have the wrong faith. Being a believer in Jesus Christ includes suffering and trials. And it's for us to understand what God can do in us and through us. In other words, suffering is intended for us to grow into spiritual maturity. It's exciting. It's exciting. Isn't it? Suffering. Yay. Let's go. I'm ready. While there are many ways to outline First Peter, uh, I found it helpful to use Wearsby's. I've modifi- modified it a little bit. Uh, in, your, in your notes, you'll see uh, the outline there. Uh, God's grace uh, and salvation. So it starts with God's grace and salvation. God's grace in submission. God's grace in suffering. 
And then he has the final exhortations. So as we move through this, I want to give you these introductory thoughts. Uh, we want to look at the person. We want to look at the people. And then we want to look at the pronouncement. As we go through this, and as we learn from what uh, Peter's telling us, uh, I've, I've identified five markers, five markers, if you will, or uh, growth markers throughout that we will uh, learn together from the text that will help us evaluate where we are in our walk with the Lord. So let's move now uh, into the person. Let's look at the person. Verse 1. Simon Peter, a bondservant and apostle to Jesus Christ. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ. Apostle is a special title. It is a unique stewardship given to very few people to accomplish the gospel after the ascension of Christ. This is a unique title. It was only given to to very few people, and there are now no others who hold this title in the New Testament, in that New Testament sense anymore. So this is not only unique, but it's special, and we know that Peter has authority. This is Peter's authority to us. Peter's connection and his apostleship of Jesus Christ bolsters the historicity of Christ, of Christ's life. Never wonder, dear Christian, about the historicity of the scriptures and the reality of Jesus Christ, his life, his death, his resurrection, and his ascension. That is a core part, that is a core doctrine that you must believe and apply practically. If you, if you have challenge of what you see in this, in the historicity of the gospel, then you are missing out. You, you must see that when we see these terms and we, 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 we hold to the scriptures, that it is historical. In fact, New Testament scholar Buse Fanning says, these epistles anchor Christianity in the historical events of Jesus' life and work on earth. My dad studied with him. He's a good guy. These epistles anchor the Christianity in the historical events of Jesus' life and work on earth. So let's remind ourselves of who this Peter is. Because in reminding us of of him, of this man of God, it establishes the framework upon which we understand what he's going to tell us. So turn with me to Luke chapter 5. Let's, let's, let's uh, talk, let's spend some time thinking about who this man is. You guys probably remember this, but it's good to remember. Luke chapter 5. Luke chapter 5, starting in verse 1. Luke chapter 5. This is the miracle of the catch. I love this. Now it came about that while the multitude were passing around him and listening to the word of God, he was standing by the lake, uh, Gesineret, and he saw two boats lying at the edge of the lake, but the fishermen had gotten out of them and were washing their nets. And he, that is Jesus, got into one of those boats, which, which was Simon's, and asked him to put out a little way to the land. And he sat down and began to teach the multitudes from the boat. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep water and let down your nets. Here's Simon. I love Simon. Do you get it? And Simon answered and said, Master, man, we've worked hard all night and caught nothing. But at your bidding, I will let down the nets. And when they had done this, they enclosed a great quantity of fish, and their nets began, uh, began to break. And they signaled to the other partners in the other boats for them to come and help them. And they came and filled the boats, filled both boats, so that they began to sink. But when Simon Peter saw, he saw that, he fell down at Jesus' feet and said, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. I love Peter. When he sees something amazing, he's down on his knees. When was the last time God did something so good that you just fell on your knees and said, Lord, man, you're amazing. I'm not worthy. Verse 9, for amazement and 
had seized him and all his companions because the, the catch of the fish which they had taken, and also James and John, the sons of Zebedee, who were uh, partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not fear. From now on you will be catching men. And when he, they had brought their boats to the land, they left everything and followed him. Peter recognized at the beginning a little bit this is this guy is unique he's a fisherman he knows what's going on he knows how hard it is to find fish and he's like i don't know what's going on here this guy tells me to pitch my nets over the other side and then we bring in so much we have to fill two boats simon falls down on his face and knows he's in the presence of greatness Peter, he responded. This is a great passage to catch a brief glimpse of Peter. Let's look at Matthew 14 now. Matthew 14. Matthew 14. Matthew 14, this is a great passage. Uh, you know it, you know it well. <clears throat> and immediately, verse 22 is where I'm reading from, 14:22. And immediately he made the disciples get in the boat and go ahead of him on the other side. And while he set the multitude, sent the multitudes away. And after that, he had sent the multitudes away. He went up to the mountain by himself to pray. And when it was evening, he was there alone. But the boat was already a sadia from the land, battered by the waves, for the wind was contrary. When I was in junior high, I lived in Southern California, and um, every once in a while we would go take these trips, these special trips. You ever go on a special trip in junior high? Do you remember how excited you were? When I was in junior high... We got permission. I was in science class. One of the few science classes I might have remembered. Something that went into them. But we got to, uh, we got to go to a, on a whale watching trip. Have you ever been on a whale watching trip? Yeah. So we go down to Long Beach. And we get on this big boat. And you know, I thought it was going to be fun, right? So I've been, I've been uh, around water almost all of my life. My parents taught me to ski about the age of six, and I've been skiing and on the water, and I'm thinking, man, I got this figured out. This is going to be great. We're going to see some whales, and it's going to be wonderful. And so I get on this boat with a bunch of other people, <clears throat> and we're looking for whales somewhere out there. Do you think I saw any whales when I went out there? What do you think I saw? I saw the side of the boat. I thought, what am I doing out here? I'm going to go in and do this inside. And I go in the side of the bathrooms, and all I saw was the whoosh of other people's vomit going in. And I'm like, oh, oh, okay. Hmm. Needless to say, I didn't see much at all except my vomit going on the side of the ship. I don't, I, I, everybody told me they saw a lot of whales, but I didn't. All right? This is the context in one, in the sense of what Jesus is, what, what the, we see the disciples. The wind was contrary. Man, the ocean was pretty good that time. I mean, these waves, oh man, it just does a number on you. The disciples are in the boat. And the waves were contrary. And coming out of that, all of a sudden, Jesus comes to them walking on the sea. Now, let me tell you. I was looking at the water. That's probably my problem. I was looking at there and just, you know, I don't know how these disciples, these were, these were fishermen, so they probably knew they could hold their lunch better than I was. But the sea was going everywhere, and they were actually paying attention enough to see Jesus walking on water. And when they saw him, they were frightened and saying, It's a ghost! And they cried out for fear. But immediately Jesus said to them, Hey, take courage. Don't be afraid. 
And ah, here we find our man. Verse 28. And Peter. Peter. Okay, mind you, the winds are still contrary. Hello, I'm still hurling over the side of the ship. This is crazy. Peter says, Lord, if it's you, command me to come to you on the water. Have I, have I told you that I know how to walk on water? No, I'm not Jesus. When I was a kid, one of our friends, he actually told me this. I don't know if you remember telling me this, mom and dad. But Jerry said, hey, you know what? I can teach you how to walk on water. And I said, whoa, I'm going to figure that out. What's he talking to me about? He had a really cool boat. It was a ski tee. And this afternoon, he put a boom on the side of that boat. And he kind of gave me some ideas of how to do this. You hang on to that boom and... At a certain speed, you're just hanging on for the for your dear life, and you just swing yourself around, and you stick your feet in the water, and then you pop up, and you're on the water. And I did it for about 10 seconds, and then whoosh, I was gone. So yeah, for a little bit, I was going 40 miles an hour. Kind of feels funny on your feet. But Peter says, Jesus, tell me to come. Would, would you do that? I, I'm not sure I would do that. And Jesus said, come on. The contrary winds, no doubt, people. He steps out, and boy, he goes for a while. And he goes. And Jesus is there. But then what happens? He kind of looks beyond. Maybe there's a big wave coming behind Jesus. He's like, maybe this will crash him or something, right? But he starts losing his perspective on who he was looking at. And he began to sink. And you know the story. Jesus lifts him up. That's Peter. That's Peter. Amidst the contrary waves. Amidst the frightening... I mean, to see a person walking on water... It's crazy enough to see people skiing at 40 miles an hour on water, seeing a man walking on water. He says, Lord, command me to come to you. He trusts Jesus when he gets out on the water, but he has to learn to continue to trust Jesus as he was out on the water. Jesus and Peter. Impetuous Peter. Turn with me to John 18 as we continue to look at who this man is that's writing this amazing book to us. John 18. Turn to John 18. This is later, way later in Jesus' ministry. John 18.10. You know the story, but it's good to be reminded. This is when Jesus is betrayed. <clears throat> I'll start in around verse 4. Jesus, therefore, knowing all, thi- all the things that were coming upon him, went forth and said, Whom do you seek? And they answered him, Jesus of Nazareth. And he said, I am he. And Judas, who betrayed him, was standing with them. When, he theref- uh, when therefore he said to him, I am he, they drew back and fell to the ground. And therefore uh, he asked them, Whom do you seek? And they said... Jesus, the Nazarene. And Jesus answered, I told you, I am he. If therefore you are seeking me, let us, let these go their way, that the word might be fulfilled, which he spoke. Of those whom thou hast given me, I lost uh, not one. Verse 10. And there we find Simon Peter. Therefore, having a sword, this is another reason why I like Peter. What do I always have? I don't have it with me. I usually have a knife in my pocket, so I kind of love Peter. Not that I would do that. Anyway, um, so Peter, therefore, having a sword, threw it or drew it and struck the high priest's slave and cut his right ear off. The slave's name was Malchus. How'd you like to be that guy? He was named. Why are you in the Bible? Peter, cut my ear off. (laughs) Peter draws his sword and cuts the dude's ear off. Protecting his Lord. Protecting his Lord. But Jesus said, Come on, Peter, put the sword up into your sheath. The cup which the Father has given me, shall I not drink it? 
Peter's learning. Impetuous Peter is learning. <clears throat> Later on, look at verse 15. And Simon Peter, we find him again, following Jesus. And so was another disciple. Now this disciple was known to the high priest and entered with Jesus into the court of the high priest. But Peter was standing at the door outside. So the other disciple who knew the high priest went out and spoke to the doorkeeper and brought in Peter. A slave girl, therefore, who kept the door said to Peter, uh, You are not also one of this man's disciples, are you? He said, I am not. Hmm. Peter just cut a guy's ear off, protecting his Lord, and now he denies him. Now the slave, uh, slaves and the other officers were standing there having made the charcoal fire, for it was cold, and they were warming themselves, and Peter also was with them, standing and warming himself. Verse 25. Now Simon Peter was standing and warming himself. They said therefore to him, You are not also one of his disciples, are you? He denied it and said, I am not. Then again, one of the slaves of the high priest, being a relative, a relative, it's funny, a relative of the ear of one of those whose ear Peter cut off said, Did I not see you in the garden with him? Peter therefore denied it again. And immediately the cock crowed. He denies. First he cuts off the ear of the slave, protecting his Lord. Jesus tells him, put it back. Then he denies Jesus to the slave girl. He denies him among a group of people. And he finally denies um, Jesus in front of one of the relatives, the man who he cut his ear off. It seems if if Peter is thrown and tossed by his circumstances... He defends, and then he deflects. Sound like people we know? Kind of sounds like me. Turn to John 21. John 21, as we continue to learn about Peter. John 21, real quick. This is one of the many times where Jesus physically reveals himself to the apostles. Uh, You know this story. I'm going to start in verse uh, 12 of John 21. Uh, Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. None of the disciples ventured to question him and say, who are you? Knowing that it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave them and gave them and the fish likewise. This is now the third time that Jesus made manifest uh, to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. And he said to him a third time. um, Oops, sorry. um, Yep, there you go. 15, I turned the page too soon. Uh, So, when he had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And he said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, Tend my lambs. He said to him again a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He responds, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to them, Shepherd my sheep. Verse 17, he said again to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, Do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, Tend my sheep. Dropping down in verse 19. Now this he said to signify that the kind of death that he would glorify God. And he said, when he had spoken this, he said to him, Follow me, Peter, Turning around, he saw the disciple whom Jesus loved with them. Peter, in his final interaction with his Savior and Lord, hears those words, Feed my sheep, tend my sheep, follow me. 
Jesus restores Peter. He tells him to feed his sheep, to tend his sheep, to follow him. Don't miss how powerful this would have been for Peter. The last time he had any interaction with someone was him denying his Lord. And Jesus restores him. Now, why do I belabor this point? Why do I spend time, brothers and sisters, on Peter? It's precisely this. I don't want you, like I do, I don't want us to too quickly go past the person. I don't want you to overlook the man of God that God used. Peter was a called out, yet common man. In many ways, just like you and me. He was with Christ from the beginning. He was an eyewitness. He experienced life with Christ. He was handpicked by Christ. Foreknown. We'll see that again in the text. Handpicked. He was a hardworking man who was and continued to be transformed by the gospel. He was a man who acted on his belief or faith in Christ. He was a man of influence. Remember that guy, John Mark? I think he wrote a gospel. He influenced John Mark. He was a man who put it in the ditch multiple times in epic fashion. You ever put it in the ditch in epic fashion? I don't know if I've ever told you this, guy, my parents. So I was uh, in high school doing some of the many fun things we do. And uh, in the agricultural setting of uh, Shafter, California, we had canals. That's how they got the water to everything. And so one of the things me and my buddies would like to do um, was um, ski in the canals. So so my buddy and I, he had this big 1976 four-wheel drive orange truck. It was called the Beast. And I said, hey man, let's go, let's go up to the canals. I want, you know, pull me. So, um, so he's like, okay, well, let's do this. So I took my ski. We did have our skis at that, that time and I had a rope. I'm not sure how long it was. So we went out to the canals and we hooked up that rope and I jumped in the canal and put my ski on and he pulled me through the canals and we were, I don't know how long we were going, but I was having a blast. I couldn't go back and forth as much because it's cement and I didn't want to hurt myself. Um, and we were going really fast. I kept going, come on, come on. And he was, he was going fast. And he came around a turn. And his truck went into the canal. Yeah. So I stopped pretty quick. So we put it in a ditch pretty bad. Um, I don't remember how we got his truck out of that canal. But um, we've all put it in the ditch. In epic fashion. And yet... Like Peter, he was chosen to be used by God in, in an amazing way. And this is where in the message we find our spiritual growth marker number one. If you're taking your notes, spiritual growth marker number one. We see this in the first verse of this text, Peter. Spiritual growth marker number one. Walking with Christ Walking with Christ is a daily opportunity for us to learn how to deepen our trust in Christ, His power, and His goodness. Walking with Christ is a daily opportunity for us to learn how deep our trust in Christ's power and goodness is, especially when things are hard or we put it in a ditch. It is Peter, a very real man, broken and restored, carried along by the Holy Spirit, who wrote the very words of God to you and me in First Peter. The man wasn't an intellectual pinhead who just wrote books. No, Peter was a man who loved God, who served Him in the gospel work, and he speaks to those of us scattered around the world, and that includes you and me. So spiritual growth marker number one, and here we find spiritual growth marker number two. God chooses to use ordinary people to accomplish extraordinary elements of His will. 
If you have been transformed by the grace of God through the power of God, He's choosing an ordinary person to accomplish extraordinary parts of His will through you. Each one of you has a unique stewardship in your service to the Lord. You have no excuse. So that's the person, Peter, who's writing to us. Next, let's look at the people. The people that he's writing to in the text. 1 Peter 1. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those, <clears throat> to those who reside as aliens scattered throughout Pontius, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Bithynia, who are chosen according to the foreknowledge of God by the sanctifying work of the Spirit, that you may obey Jesus Christ. Peter identifies these people in three ways. Three ways. He, he, he identifies them geographically, sociologically, and theologically. Let's look at those in order. Geographically, these are people who are scattered throughout the modern land at that time. As I read in the beginning in Acts, we saw what was the spread of the gospel like? It was in Jerusalem, in Judea, and the ends of the earth. We now see this happening in First Peter many years after. These people are scattered. They're not few. They're not localized. Uh, in this particular area, they would be found in modern-day Turkey. This would be where those people are. These are people of God, followers of Jesus Christ, who have made their way to other lands. Um, this gives us trust in the reality of what Jesus Christ has said and how the gospel is moving forward. The gospel reach was real, and these people uh, were, were removed from the center of Christianity, and therefore they were having a hard time living for their faith. They were being persecuted. They were living in a foreign land. And again, as we know the theme, Peter writes to encourage their faith as he does us. So they're scattered throughout the land. So that's geographically. Sociologically, uh, these people, he talks to them about uh, in, in unique ways. They're aliens, depending on your translation. The elect, strangers, sojourners. These are people who are living as aliens in a foreign land. They're not like the people that they live with. And they also recognize that this is their temporary home. They're strangers. And that's a theme you're going to see a lot of looking and living for Christ while we were here, knowing that we're not really created to live here. These people are orienting their lives around different values different rhythms and different purposes. And because of this, because of this, these different values, because of the different rhythms and these different purposes, they're experiencing challenges as they live out their daily lives. This is where we find spiritual growth marker number three. Spiritual growth marker number three. Believers should live and behave differently because we have set our hearts on where we are going, right? We're headed to eternity. So believers should live and behave. There should be different rhythms of your life. There should be different patterns of your life. There should be different values because we're not living here. Your life should look differently. And as a result, trials and persecutions should be anticipated. You should anticipate them, brothers and sisters. Why? Because you've oriented your life around different values. The rhythms of your life aren't going to be like the non-believers in Dubuque. Dubuque people should see something different in the lives of the people that go to great adventure. And that should be on purpose. 
Because we've oriented our life to eternity, not to this world. Oh yes, at some point, God's going to renew this earth, and that's where we're going to spend eternity. But the values of this world, of this dark place, we do not orient our lives around those. If you do, you're not walking with the Lord. Because our values should be aligned with Scripture, not the culture. So believers should live and behave. This is spiritual growth marker number three. Spiritual growth, uh, believers should live and behave differently because we have set our hearts on where we are going. The results are trials and persecutions, and we should anticipate those, brothers and sisters. If you're not experiencing them now, you should be in the future, and we probably will. So Peter identifies these, the, the, the people he's writing to geographically, sociologically, and theologically. <clears throat> Did you catch that? He speaks to us about the triune God. He says, those who are chosen according to the foreknowledge of God. God the Father. He has an eternal plan. If you have been translated from the dominion of darkness and the dominion of light... God chose you. We know that's nothing of yourself because you, in your, on your own, you cannot choose the Lord. The Lord Jesus has to choose you. He has an eternal plan for you. It's been set up. By the sanctifying work of the Spirit, the sanctifying work of the Spirit includes trials and suffering. That's a part of our growth in the Lord Jesus that we may, that you may obey Jesus Christ. We see the Trinity right here in Paul's theology. Any book that teaches you how to practically live for Christ is going to be based on sound theology. And if you do not have a theology based on a triune God, God the Father, God the Son, uh, God the Holy Spirit, you will, you're following the wrong God. A.T. Robertson suggests, Quote, the whole epistle of Peter is a commentary on the foreknowledge of God, the sanctification wrought by the Holy Spirit, and the new covenant blood of Jesus Christ. We serve and we live for the triune God. One God, three persons, co-eternal, co-equal, constantly subordinating themselves to each other. That's the God that we serve. This is where we find spiritual growth marker number four. As we look at our lives, as we grow in the Lord. Spiritual growth marker number four. The depth of your walk with the Lord is only as effective as the object of your faith. The depth of your walk with the Lord is only as effective as the object of your faith. We hope in... And have hope and have a relationship with the triune God. If you hope in hope itself, you have no hope. Who's the object of your faith? Are you hoping in your strength, your ability to cope, your ability to figure things out on yourself, the ability of that you have to pull yourself up by the bootstraps and just take it all? No. You place your hope and your faith in the triune God that is there for us. The depth of your walk with the Lord is only as effective as the object of your faith. Let's look at, thirdly, and uh, finally, the pronouncement. Verse 2, the pronouncement. Uh, he ends the text um, in verse 2. May, the gr- may grace and peace be yours in fullest measure. May grace and peace be yours in fullest measure. Literally, the Greek text says it this way. Grace to you and peace. May it be multiplied. Grace to you and peace. May it be multiplied. The NAS says foolish measure. The NIV in abundance is what it says. This is the broad covering for the rest of what Peter is going to talk to us about. Grace is God's generous favor to undeserving sinners and needy saints. Grace is 
God's generous favor to undeserving sinners and needy saints. Only when we depend on God's grace can we endure suffering and turn what Wearsby says, turn trials into triumphs. Peace. We studied this a while back in Philippians 4. Philippians 4. Look at that with me. Philippians 4, 7. Philippians 4, 7 says, And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, shall guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Grace, generous favor to undeserving sinners and needy saints, and the peace of God that surpasses all comprehension. Brothers and sisters, if you do not have the peace of Christ, I I urge you, put yourself in subjection to the Spirit. Allow Him to take what's what's clattering your brain, what's worrying your heart, give it to Him, because the peace of Christ must multiply. It's that, that peace, that settledness, that assurance, not based on our whims and wants, but on God, the God who created, who is outside of time. It's eternal peace. Spiritual growth number five is what we hear, uh, we hear finally. Spiritual growth number five. Those who are growing in the Spirit reflect a rest in God's grace and peace through the challenges of life not our ability to cope and try harder. Those who are growing in the Lord Jesus Christ reflect a peace, excuse me, reflect a rest in God's grace and peace through the challenges of life, not our ability to cope and try harder. As as Peter talks to us in this this book, we we remember his encouraging words. He asks us, in view of all the things I'm going to write, in view of all the things you're going to learn, in view of the things you're studying, he says, stand firm. He says, stand firm in your eternal hope. To put our issues, our trials, our suffering in the right context. This mindset won't make life easier. No. Does it make the pain that my mom goes through every day any any easier? What it will do is enable us to emulate our Lord Jesus Christ, who in view of the joy set before Him, endured the cross. May we follow Him. Let's pray. Father, thank You for this amazing book. We thank You for its power, its presence in our life. We thank You for the person of Peter and how You show us Your love and Your compassion. Uh, through his life. We thank you for choosing us and speaking to us. We thank you for providing for us. Uh, You are the only true God, and we ask that you would empower us through the Spirit to live faithfully through trials and suffering. Not only today, but tomorrow, the weeks to come, the months to come, the years to come. We cannot do this without you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.